Welcome back to the Reset Rebel podcast with me, Joe Yule, and I'm joined by another athlete for today's episode. Last week, we caught up with Lisa Shaw, long distance swimmer who is prepping to swim around all five Balearic Islands. And this week, we have none other than an ex-Belgian basketball player, Peter Loredon. Now, Peter made his debut in 1992 in the Belgian first division of basketball and was twice top scorer in the Belgian league. He played a total of 12 seasons for Antwerp and Ghent and was called up 35 times to the Belgian Lions national team. He retired from pro basketball at the end of 2006 and he is now regularly, luckily, dipping in and out of life in Ibiza, where we are chatting this morning at the Hub Podcast Studios. So, Peter, welcome to the Reset Rebel Podcast. Thank you so much for coming to join me today. And first up, I think, you know, let's kick off with basketball. Um, can you describe for us like what it was like growing up with a dad who was already a big name on the basketball scene? I, I still remember my first interview. And uh, the, the main title was... I would love to have a, a first name because they were always talking about the son of. And, um, you know, it's it's kind of double because you get more opportunities because they know you're dead, but you have to prove yourself twice. Double. Um, and that was difficult because you could, you know, oh, he's the son of. Oh, he's the son of. So you really had to prove yourself. But uh, I did, and I was blessed to uh, to be his son. Your son's not not uh, very keen on uh, taking up the old ball. Well, <laughs> we we went to um, to to classes, basketball classes, and after the second time, he was like, "Dad, mm, I don't know if it's uh, if I, I if I kind of like it." And I was so happy. I was like, "Okay, we stop it. We're never gonna do this again," because um, I knew it always was gonna be difficult. For sure, my dad was a very sweet nice guy nobody was really talking uh like negative or he was really a shy guy but i you know i've been i've been different on a court um i'm, I'm outspoken and you know it, being the son of somebody who has an opinion is is more difficult so i was very happy and then he went into soccer playing soccer and that was easy because i was on the sideline i even wrote a book in belgium about it um and you know, it was very easy because every time people asked me something about, like, what do you think of this game? And I said, listen, I, I don't know anything about soccer, so I don't have any opinion. And it was just my, it's one of the, it's, it's an advice I give to parents with uh, sporting kids. Like, you know, there's only one coach. So never get them in a triangle situation where your kid is on the court. He has to listen to the coach. And a lot of kids, they're they're looking to the to their parents and when the coach is telling them like pass them the ball and the parent is like shoot it yeah your child in is a very difficult situation so uh, I was very happy he was going to soccer and I could say like oh I don't know anything about soccer but 
I think I, I know, but I, I never said it. Beautifully put. I mean, so what then, you know, what was it that inspired you to, to take, you know, to walk in your father's footsteps? Before social media, I really think that um, um, we adapted about our environment. I saw my dad working. He was a very hardworking. He was still selling shoes because he was he he had a professional. Uh, uh, he was selected for the an, a European team. I'm sorry, he has the most caps of the national team in Belgium, uh, but he was still working back in the days. And I grew up. I saw my dad working nonstop and playing basketball. So you know, if I look at myself today, I'm kind of working but I'm doing what I love so I don't consider it as work but I I played basketball so I copied him and I think this generation of social media they have so much opportunities I also think they're kind of lost in it um, but that's that's it, for me it was a very simple reason and my dad and my mother they always gave me the choice like if I wanted to do something else no problem do it but if you do something do it good and I loved playing basketball how did your dad find balance between being a shoe seller and a pro basketballer? You really know a lot about me. They were selling shoes. Yeah, he's. Um, it, it must have been. Yeah, I would have almost said terrible, but no, because he, he also did what he loved. But he was he was like he, really one of the big wholesalers in Belgium. So he he's been working so hard. And then they, those guys, my dad's team, they were beating Real Madrid. They were beating. Cimental Milan, they, they were one of the top teams in Europe, so it must have been very crazy. And, and I, I, today, professional athletes, they have a very luxury life compared to, uh, I think, 30, 40 years ago, like 40, 50 years ago. Did, did you feel that you had less advantage growing up in a place where basketball was, you know, maybe less well-known, or did that make you more determined to carve out your own scene for it in Antwerp? Um. Also, what, what this kind of story is like, when I was 16, I was uh, selected for the first time of just in Antwerp to to have this Antwerp team. And i never forget this because this really made my life. Um, you have some moments where they make you or they break you. And I was 16 years old. I was the son of my father's known and he was very known. So I went there with 180 kids who were playing basketball and I was the one who the first one who was uh, rejected it's like you know you got talent but you're physically you're not you're not really that strong and um, and that moment it it um, yeah as I said it makes you or it breaks you it didn't break me so I started working like like crazy and it's like I'll prove them wrong three years later I was in Finland, a European qualification tournament with the national team, minus 21, and I was making 35 points. So you have certain points in life, and it depends what you do with it, how you rebound. Um, so what was the question again? <laughs> Did it make you more determined to, to make a name you know, for basketball in Belgium? I never cared about anything about making a name I, I still today I only do what I love I follow my energy it's my lo- my life path path um, 
I, I don't know anything else. I never had a business plan. I never had a... I, I'm always talking about energy plans. I go there where the energy is right, and I leave when the energy is not right. So I just loved playing basketball. So if it, if it would make me famous, or if I would make money out of it, or whatever, I, I, I never thought about it. That's interesting and it leads me on to my next question quite neatly because I think, you know, I was just researching and obviously MJ is now worth $1.7 billion. I mean, do you think that that kind of money was there for the taking in the same way coming in as a Belgian player? Never. No, never. There's always a market and, well, still Belgium, uh, basketball in Belgium is, is, is the indoor number one sport, but it's still... Uh, well, you don't, you, you don't play for stadiums like 20, 30,000 people, so... There's always a limit, <clears throat> and it's always I, I oh you know when people talk about oh this is not honest or that is you know it is honest because if you look for example to whatever Asia Africa they're wearing NBA shirts they're wearing Manchester United shirts so there's a market for it so the market decides who they love what they want to wear. And that's, it's brutally honest. So I never had a problem of like, uh, I was, it was never my intention to make money. It's like, oh, you know what? Oh, we can become a professional basketball player. Oh, that's, of course, that's my goal. I'm going to go for that one. And, um, but I was never, ever, even, I'll tell you, <laughs> finally, I, I was getting a professional contract and it was going to be one of the biggest teams in Belgium, Austin. And I got a. They proposed me three-year contracts every year, more money. I was gonna get an apartment with a sea view. I was gonna get a car of the team. They were always, almost always playing, uh, like became becoming champion, winning the cup of Belgium, European Cup. So I was gonna get a lot of bonuses. And I decided to take Alst, <laughs> where there was a one-year contract. They were almost broke, no car no apartment but they built a new stadium and and they invited me and, and i saw that that big crowd and i was like and i felt that energy i was like oh i want to play here so i never thought on a rational way i was like oh this is where i want to be and for that i never made a mistake i believe when you trust your when you believe in your feeling and you have good intentions you're always having a good time and you're always doing your best and you're going to do it more and better so you're always, having, you're always having a great time. And that's what, that's the energy leads me everywhere. I mean, would you say, I mean, I think that's beautiful that you, you know, weren't necessarily always focused on the money and that wasn't like your yeah. main driver. And, and I think that's really important. And it's not to say necessarily that Michael Jordan was, but clearly that opportunity struck before he joined the Bulls and therefore he signed that deal and getting all those, you know, criteria that he met to actually continue that deal and expand it into the ridiculous sum of money that it ended up being is kind of interesting. So I think, you know, would you would you say that he was like more of a businessman, you know, in terms of his success or is he more of a player? I just heard that he, he signed not really that big contract with the Bulls. He made the money uh, with his deal with Nike. Um, but that's what I mean. He he signed that deal with Nike before he joined the Bulls. Right before. Um, I I I think nobody knows because <clears throat> Michael Jordan never had an opinion about racial things. 
uh, about it is 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 always about uh, and the reason why because everybody's buying his shoes so or he's extremely uh, intelligent and smart which I think he is or he's managed or he has people around him which are which guided him perfectly I never saw a second Michael Jordan um, he's kind of almost not human for a basketball player if you look at Michael Jordan because everybody's wearing Jordans I'm wearing Jordans now but you know I grew up with Jordan it's like even I get emotional when I talk about him I remember I stood up like at 3 at 4 o'clock in the morning to watch his games I know the, the fuzz around his shoes I really I get goosebumps look when I talk about it it's and now people like all hipsters are wearing Jordans but they don't know really what Jordan is Michael Jordan is about about his um, so for me, it's it's a basketball player, and and the deal with Nike also he was the first one. I, I, maybe a lot of people don't want to uh, don't know this, but the reason why the Jordan shoes became so popular is they're the first shoes where they added Nike added colors to them, and it was not allowed even like in Europe or or NBA, or you had to play with white shoes the entire team, or with black shoes. Even like when we played European Cups, all black shoes or all white shoes. And they, and they started with Jordans and they're like red, white, and black together. And then the NBA started to find him, to find him. Yeah, you're looking at this, at this moment, you're looking at my shoes, you see those same colors, but that's the reason why I, I, I buy these guys, these colors, because those are the true colors. But... And then there were, there, a big fuzz in the media started about this guy, the most talented guy, wearing like colorful uh, sneakers. And Nike, of course, the entire world started talking about it. And Nike started paying his fines, just like with a big smile, because it was the best publicity ever. And uh, that's the reason why the Jordan shoes became so popular, next to the player Michael Jordan. Two different things. Mm. Very interesting. And I think, you know, um, the recent launch of the um, Last Dance series on Netflix was, you know, an interesting thing to watch, particularly for someone like me. I'm not massively into basketball. Um, My boyfriend is and I I thought I was going to absolutely hate it. And I didn't. <laughs> Joking, <laughs> your boyfriend or, or the or the series? <laughs> I thought it was the yeah, definitely the series. But <laughs> I think um, you know, even the other players in the team never stood a chance, right, of earning the kind of cash that that Michael Jordan did. And I thought that was, you know, very interesting to to witness um, his extreme savviness. I know that you say he had a lot of advice, but you know, to be able to negotiate a deal like that and to to see the impact that that had on someone like Scotty Pippen, who clearly didn't, you know, didn't negotiate such a good deal yet you know was he as good a player like it it, it created some weird dynamics I think having watched that series well I I look at it different because you know he was the best I think he still will ever be no you you never can say this because every every time frame has his has his best but for me Mark Jordan in my time frame was and I cannot you know Please do not compare LeBron James to Michael Jordan because he's not really, no. Uh, but before like Chamberlain and etc. So you really had good players. But, you know, at the last dan- dance, the series, you know, a lot of people are saying like, oh, he's, he's kind of arrogant and it all it all has to go to his standards, etc. Of course, because he, he makes champions 
out of the other ones. If he would, if he would like uh, go to the standards of other players, he would never be Michael Jordan. He would never win those titles. It, I think the other players just have to shut up because you know they were able to to go and reach almost the standards or play with Michael Jordan. And that's the reason why those have they they have those champion rings, champions rings. You know, you just have to shut up, and it, it's still like. Even in faith, in 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 periods in my life, you know, sports people they have a focus. And, you know, we're gonna go for this goal, and then it doesn't matter how you feel or it, you're gonna do everything to reach that goals, the goal. And if the if your coach is telling you you're gonna touch that line, I'm gonna give you an example. So like the coach tells you touch that line, and you know by coincidence, you don't touch the line by a half a centimeter. You know, I, I really believe that 99% of the people are thinking, oh, okay, it's as close to the line. Uh, no problem. It's a fucking big problem. Sorry about But it's a big problem because, you know, no, touching the line is touching the line. And every detail is going to be important. So still today, even when I stopped uh, like four, 15 years ago, professional basketball, if you're telling me or I'm telling you something, uh, I'm coming, I'm coming there. If, if, I, if I'm... I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. If I'm and for me it's so obvious how you can achieve goals, how you can win games. And it's by 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 um yeah, by putting efforts and in the last dance of Michael Jordan, of course his standards and his goals were different than the other ones. And in in that series you saw a, a lot of other players bitching about it. I was like, you know, shut the, shut it, shut up. Because you would never be a champion without this one, these goal, th- these standards. So uh, for me, it was kind of double. Uh, but yeah, anyway, they, they got their champion ring, champion rings. And you know, you can always talk about something. There's always something, but you know, they, the other players would never been as important as, as they would have not played next to Michael Jordan. I mean, is he, in your opinion, the greatest player of all time? For sure. For sure, uh, you you back in the beginning of the NBA, you really had like a lot of big players like Russell and Chamberlain, and they were very, very dominant. Uh, even like maybe uh, figure wise, uh, stats wise, uh, even maybe more impressive. But you know, it's because of their length. Michael Jordan is because of his talent, and. Um, even even if they compare to it, like LeBron James, physically, he's he's he's, he's impressive. But basketball-wise, please do not compare him to Michael Jordan, because you saw it this year with the Lakers. They didn't even make the playoffs. You know that would have never been possible with Michael Jordan. So even f- till today, I'm so fanatic about Michael Jordan that you you cannot compare. The one who came very close to it was uh, Kobe Bryant. Because of his talent, his will, his, uh, yeah, that's the only one who came very close to it. And, of course, you really have a lot of amazing players in the NBA, even LeBron James. Huh? But they're not, they're not as, they, they don't have the total package of, of Michael Jordan, for sure. So if Kobe hadn't died in a helicopter crash, would you, do you think he could have been the next Michael Jordan? No. And he also, um, well, he already stopped uh Playing, playing at the NBA, but I, I remember his last speech to, towards his his daughters, and 
that's, that's something uh, I, I will keep remembering is that he said, you know, he was one of the best. And he said, you know, what I want to tell my daughters is the way to achieve the goal. That's the dream. And not being like the best player or whatever, or playing at the Lakers or, you know, of course it's a dream of, of a lot of people, but the way to achieving the difficult moments, to going to the gym alone, you know, there are so many obstacles in life, which, but if you know that this is just a part to get, to, to reach that goal, you'll miss those, you'll miss those, those, those difficult moments. Mm-hmm. And, looking back as one of the best he says like the road to it that was the dream not achieving it and that's uh for me was like something new because we're only going to be happy when we achieve our goal but that's not true you know even like halfway or three quarter or whatever you know you you made huge steps and that's the dream mm-hmm. so that he was a very he had this kind of um He's, he was different, Kobe Bryant, about his Mamba mentality. That's what they always said. Even now I'm talking about the Mamba mentality. About I'm not going to talk about LeBron James, I'm sorry, about his Taco Tuesdays or whatever he's saying. It's like, I don't care, really. He's, he's, not, he's not, for me, he's, he's an amazing basketball player, one of the best, but he didn't have this extra class that Jordan and, uh, and Kobe Bryant, for me, eh? And it's still, he's one of the best. So what were the difficult moments that you had to overcome to get to where you got? When, the, when you're 16 years old, which is a, a, a very important phase in your life, and they tell you you're too fat to, to make the, a local team, uh, that's one of the most di- difficult, most difficult times. But as I said, you, they make you or they break you. And, and, and that's, where, that's the first point where I, I became a fighter. And I think today, or even in the last two years with, with, with this virus, I'm still fighting. And it made me there, that moment there. And then, for sure, like a couple of coaches afterwards, even I remember that um, two years later when I was 18 and I was almost close to the national team of, of, of the minus 20, 21 years old, I, I was making 28 points one at one game and, and the next practice he started like listen if you're going to keep playing like shitty like this I'm going to kick you out and I was like top scorer and and you know he reactivated this fighting thing and it, it made me again even like a more a warrior or to prove some things or not to be satisfied when you're making 28 points I, I was so I was so blessed to, to have those difficult moments in my life and I'm giving myself the credits of, of doing something with it. So when someone has a comment like that for you as a kid, I mean, you know, that's bone crunching for a 16-year-old to receive the news that you're a little bit too fat <laughs> to yeah. make the team. I mean, I remember standing there in PE or in... but I actually used to play basketball as well, but, you know, you're standing there and you're waiting in line to be picked and you're like the last person in the line and that's that's devastating. It's not it's not good for not just your ego, but just not good for your self-confidence. And I think that's very difficult as a teenager. But it's also very honest because I was fat at that moment, but if, if I wouldn't have... Um, reacted to it I would never been have been strong enough to maintain in this professional uh, world 
of basketball, where when you play a game on Saturday and you play a shitty game, on Mondays the newspapers are full of 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 yeah brutally honest things about you and maybe like even personal things. If you play two times bad, you're sitting your you sit with your ass on the bench, and you don't even know if you yeah next year are you gonna get a contract. So for me. Professional sports is like it's br- brutally honest, and and I must admit, after I, I I'm doing nice businesses after my professional career, but I always missed, I still always miss this this honesty of professional sports, mm. of sports, because you can look like, for example, on a soccer court like Ronaldo, but if you can't play soccer, you're done. They laugh. It is, and maybe you look like I don't know, like a clown, but you make like six goals on a, on a soccer court. You're a hero. Anyway, it's about talent. It's about how you perform. It's about your quality. It's not about how you look. But I mean, how do you feel about that idea that you're kind of only as good as your last game? I mean, I, you know, I, I think that's been a theme of my life specifically. That I always feel like, you know, your last radio broadcast, your last radio show, your last news bulletin, your last feature piece on Radio Two that you've strived your whole life to get. And it's like, if it wasn't, you know, if it didn't cut the mustard, it was it was embarrassing and it was like scary to see what you know the people around you, your peers, your colleagues would actually make of that. And you know, to add on top of that, when you've kind of like reached a celebrity status, so to speak, you kind of yeah, there's a there's a lot of expectation out there. And I think dealing with that double-edged sword of both both parts of that are quite challenging and I don't know how you maintain resilience in the face of that there's only one thing you can do is work your ass off to become the best version of yourself and then when the game is there or the interview is there you know you have to let go because otherwise you're going to be too uh, uh, like too you're too tense and that's one of the also my advice to even like to people who are listening now of when they have to give a presentation in school or, or at work. Listen, it's not about the presentation at that moment itself. It's how you prepare for it. And I always, even today again, in relationships, whatever, how, to, even to my the people working for me, I can always look them in the eyes and I said, listen, I, I did 200% to, to make you happy, to get a good environment for you, to, and then it's up to you. And even when things go wrong, I make sure that I'm not to blame, that I did everything. And I always have good intentions. Always, even today. And for sure, I was like, if I look at basketball games, if I look at myself, how I was playing, I was, I was, oh, I was such an arrogant bastard on the court. And I, 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 today, I probably would play different. But it was still my fighting mentality to prove people that, and it was my method of impressing people to, to bring them out of balance, the other team, to whatever. So you always, you know, you grow. But one thing always stayed the same. I always had good intentions and I worked my ass off to come and be prepared for that moment where I had to shine or where I had to perform. So I was not looking at the game there and of course you you can you, you can be nervous and some things can go wrong etc but it's how you prepared for it and in there you have to be to look honest like 
did I prepare well or not? So I think that's where you have to be honest to yourself. Like, and if you prepare well, there's there's nothing to blame. Be prepared or prepare to fail. One of my old bosses used to say to me, and I think, you know, what you're talking about there is about proving the doubters wrong. But there's also this kind of like, when I was growing up, I come from a motivating family. My father, my brother and myself were all racing go-karts when we were kids um, in like professional league in England. And, and, you know, there was this real sense, you know, I was only 12 when I quit because I didn't want to go into the more senior classes where you had to pick your go-kart up and actually run with it to restart it if you span off. And I just wasn't strong enough. And, you know, there was kind of bets going on between them about, you know, whether I would pass my driving test and whether I would go to university. And I was constantly told I wouldn't. But do you think do you think that kind of reverse psychology from that perspective, like, is it is it? you know, would you have done what you did without being told you wouldn't, you were too fat, you were not, you know, you were playing like you were having a shitty game? No, no. Um, it's all, it, that's the reason why you asked me in advance, like Peter, this, what is the word with the re, eh, or R-E? And I was like, rebound. It's how we rebound above it, of everything, of relationships, of failure, of uh, success, of whatever, it's like how how do how do we gonna act like even okay after my ba- professional basketball career I won Dancing with the Stars in Belgium, yeah okay. yes, <laughs> and and the, the, it was the first time in uh, they they were gonna do it and I said no, and then the second year I met on this island in Ibiza I met uh, a Danish girl <laughs> in Pasha the VIP in Pasha I even got married to her a couple months and I was five years together I was in Copenhagen and there was Peter Schmeichel and he did it in London in, in England mm-hmm. and they said I knew some people who knew him and it's like oh he's so it was so nice for for an athlete to to go into like ballroom and Latin and he liked it so it was my, my my girlfriend who convinced me. It's like, do it. I was like, okay, I'll do it. And, um, you know, I went there identically with the same uh, into something completely that I know. And they were all, I even negotiated my contract with the television station. I was like, I wanted to get all my money in two weeks. Because I thought like in two weeks I'm out. Because I'm, yeah, two meters I think I can dance, but everybody's telling me I, I can't. And I was like, okay. So, and then it's like they told me, it's like, Peter, but are you going to stay motivated if you're going to go to the half final, etc.? I said, of course, it is because I'm. Yeah, it's my professional uh, top sport mentality. Anyway, I started with it, so I I, I blocked all the rest. I was like, oh, I want to be a very good quick step, uh, whatever, all of them. And I won it in the end. It was amazing. <clears throat> but what I wanted to say is... You won. I won. And, and, How did that and, feel? <clears throat> uh, finally winning something. <laughs> it, it was amazing. It was. It's so... Hey, I, I, you should try it. You should try it. Like, go, go and dance. It's amazing. The chemistry between two people. But then it's so difficult. Also, you have to... To, to, to walk on the beat, you have to, hey, um, on the rhythm, um, you, 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 you have to, your po- posture, you have to uh, lead the lady. It's so difficult. Listen, ba- playing basketball is very easy compared to this, but I loved it. 
Do you think the old court, you know, being a little bit nimble on your um, your toes was uh, helpful in that scenario? No, they, they, no, everything was, they said like, oh, but it's probably even like, and, and I had this very small, uh, amazing world champion Latin dancer. She was very small, so my composure was always like, I was, I was, yeah, <laughs> leaning to the front and, and just, I, I, you have to stand up, which was very difficult. And then in the final, finally we could, we had a kind of freestyle, and then I raised her one hand towards the, the sky, and that was so impressive that uh, I think I won it because it looked uh, spectacular. But was it a bit like the dirty dancing lift? There was nothing dirty in it, but uh, <laughs> it was uh, kind of yes. I did it twice. Yeah. <laughs> just, you don't remember the dirty dancing lift, clearly. Of course, Actually, but there was nothing dirty in my dance. That's what I said. <laughs> okay, just checking. I mean, you never know because there's a lot of uh, you know in the Dancing with the Stars in England. There's always two, you know, the guy that's like basically probably married always gets off with the girl that he ends up getting yeah. paired up with. Okay, well, I didn't. <laughs> but it's it's true, you get a really, like, very good connection. I had the, I, I felt it the most with the rumba. Mm-hmm. That dance was, like, or maybe it was also the, the easiest, like, one, two, three, rest. One, two, three, rest. No, but it was, uh, it was an amazing experience. Yeah, it was nice. I, I really didn't expect you to tell me about your experience of dancing with the stars. I'm glad you did, but it's not something that I was aware of, so thank you for uh, adding that in there. Um, you know, you said you you know, you know, wrote um, a kid's book or you had some help writing a kid's book. You, to- you spoke about it earlier. I mean, you know, let's just go back to how, you know, how important and how intrinsic do you feel like that journey was in your life in terms of like, what do you, what do you think you would have been doing if you didn't get into basketball? That's a very good question. We, we can't uh, can go back in, in time, but uh, as I said, you, you always, that's the reason why I'm so protective towards kids and your, envi- your environment makes you. And the older I get, and I even get goosebumps again, I, I'm, I realize so more I've been very blessed with my parents and my environment. And to all the people who don't understand, wake up, because you know, I, I had somebody for the last years around me who, who was living in New York. He says, Peter, listen, if you if you are born in certain areas in the world, it's not that easy. If you have another uh, skin type and you're born in another family, and, you know, it, it's right. And people in a, in a good environment don't realize those things. Mm-hmm. So it's very important that the environment of where you're growing has such a big effect on you. And I was so blessed in that. My father passed away three years ago. And I am in awe. I was, maybe I I didn't tell him enough. I'm I'm telling my mother enough now, but they, they, they did such a great job. So we have to protect our children, the environment they grew up, the, what we... And I think that's very important today on social media. I think it's a positive thing because mm-hmm. they, at least, they see the opportunities, other opportunities, other possibilities. So a question would, what would I have been if I would have been raised with the impulses of social media? I think I, I would be even like capable of doing more. I, I could have like of my 
uh, of my career, I could always play abroad in Italy, Spain. But I, I know I stayed local because that's what I knew. That's what I, uh, the stories I heard. Um, now I'm, I've been um, living half five years in Copenhagen, five years in Ibiza, seven years in Amsterdam. Now I'm back over here. Um, what if I ha- would have? What if my father played abroad? Then I probably moved to play in Italy or Spain or maybe I I got I got the chance to to go to a pre-draft in the NBA and I said you know I had my professional contract in Belgium I was like you know I'm good I just play my game I have used some European cups uh, European t- uh, yeah, cup games you know I can go out I can have a party why why should I go to the States where there are like 200 more athletic guys than me making the team and at that moment they were looking for like white players who could shoot the ball then that was my type but my ambition was not there it's uh yeah it's strange why not everything about me is with emotions and if i don't feel it i, I i'm not going i'm um um the, because the impulses were not there i didn't see the nba enough back in those days that started to come on, on, on television. Even, I think, even uh, somewhere on uh, an English channel started with the NBA. Um, no, it's because, you know, I. it's so strange. You know, why? Why didn't you go to that pre-draft NBA? Why didn't you go to the number one team in Belgium? Why, you know, that's something very strange about me because I always follow my feelings. I fo- always follow my energy. Always. So what looks like very stupid to people or what's not logical, I don't care because I, I don't feel it. Tell us about this moment you met your wife in Pasha. Oh, that, that's a crazy one. I don't think she, she wants me to tell, but anyway, it was a, she, she, she was, I didn't know, but okay. Oh, this is a good one. Okay, my friend, uh, I've always come into the island with with another uh, very good friend of mine, one of my best friends. <laughs> you know, back in the days as a professional athlete, folks, you couldn't say you went to Ibiza because uh, Ibiza was about partying, uh, drugs, drinking. So as an athlete, going to Ibiza was completely long. Like, what, what are you doing on Ibiza back in the days? I'm talking about 21 years ago, 22 years. And... Um, you know, anyway, we, we got this very nice guy who was who, who created some fashion brands. And he said, like, oh, Peter, we bought a house. And, you know, Ibiza is so nice, come over. And then I broke up in a relationship. I was single. I was like, you know, let's go to Ibiza. Even if it's wrong, we, we let's have a good time for five days or a week, and we go there. Anyway, so that's how we went. And then we got we fell in love on the island. Even, like, the first four years, I, I lied about it, that I was in Ibiza. I told my team I was in Benidorm in Spain. It's like, oh, that's good, between old people there. And, um, but okay, so we came to the island, and with this guy, he, he had a kind of relationship issue, and he uh, he was going to go back to Belgium the next day. And he's like, oh, Peter, I'm feeling bad because I'm leaving you on the island. I said, listen, you're so lost because... Look, we were we at Satrinsa. I said, look at these beautiful girls around us. Look at the music. Look at where we are. We're in paradise. And you're going back because somebody's like screwing you mentally, etc. Go back. I'm okay. So he said, you know what? We're going to have a drink on it. So we were a little drunk. And, uh, you know, and from from 
there that moment, so let's celebrate you going home. <laughs> and then we ended up in Pasha. And like almost dressed uh, as we were in Satrinsa. But I knew the guys very well on the door. And I always had my table there because I always left around 2.30, 3 o'clock. Uh, you know, we had a, a bottle of, a small bottle of vodka. We were drunk anyway, very fast as a professional athlete. So we left at 3 o'clock. So they knew in the VIP, it's like, oh, they, the guys, they come in, they go out when the people are coming in at 3 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Anyway, before sitting, uh, sitting bef- when we're sitting there, already a little drunk, they're very beautiful two blonde girls in front of us with a kind of older guy. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, mm, what is this? Mm? Anyway, one of them started looking at me. There was really a very nice chemistry about it. I was like, oh. But I started flirting with the other one. Anyway, so a very difficult situation. Uh, it's like, oh, you know, uh, give me your number and uh, maybe tomorrow we come to Satrinsa. Okay, no problems. We come to Satrinsa. Anyway, to the 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 girl I still remember I still remember it today. She looked over her shoulders and she started looking and she kept looking at me and I kept looking at her. I even had my okay, my doubts about whatever. She was the next day she was in Satrinsa. Uh we started dating. <coughs> it seemed like she was married. <laughs> yeah, things in things happen in in Ibiza. Um and uh anyway. To you <laughs> Of course, they keep they keep happening, and uh, and okay, I started dating her, and then one after a couple of days, but I still didn't know she was married. You know, I said, "Come to my hotel room," and uh, it seems like she she was living on the islands. Got back uh, afterwards, you know, said like, "Okay, it's over," and she she stepped away from this guy. We saw each other. I didn't know anything about it two months later in Paris, like, okay, let's stay in touch. And then we saw in Paris and then, you know, a very nice relationship of five years happened and I finally, I got married to her. Uh, it was an amazing story, an amazing story about, yeah. yeah things. Is that the mother of your, your no. son? No, I already had my son. Um, and no, she's, she's from Belgium, Antwerp. Uh, no, that's not the mother of my son. Uh, I have one amazing son. Amazing, sir. Like and business partner. I made him a business partner. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. He's he's now he's he's in control of the entire Belgium company. I just gave it uh, to him. Uh, nobody knows. Uh, now they know. But I gave him uh, full control uh, of. Okay, I still have some shares of of the the store we have in Belgium. And I, I said to him uh, after these virus uh, years, I said, "Listen, son, you, you love Antwerp. You love this store and and." and I had to go out. I had to go out of Belgium and, and think about about what's going to happen. Are, are we free? Are we not free? Are we? What's happening around us? And do you want to get stu- stay stuck in Belgium or not? And uh, I told him, I said, you really love doing this story, etc. And yeah, he's doing amazing. And then uh, just the day before his birthday, I, I I told him, I said, listen, you've been working so good. People are so happy about you. You proved it. You never asked something. I said, listen, from now on, uh, this Belgian company is yours. And uh, it even motivates him now more to, to do the extra steps. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, we have a very, uh, 
very intense relationship. Uh, we're working together. He's my business partner, but he's my son. He's he's everything. He's a uh, yeah. Is that where your "nothing beats love" phrase comes from? It is. It is. Uh, I get inspired by a lot of people. Uh, even like some a lot of English people on the island, they inspire me a lot. For example, like Simon Dunmore, Scott Gray, uh, one of the guys of Melon Bomb, and, and, and Simon Dunmore of, of Love Is the Answer, where I see on, on Glitterbox on Defected. I've been at, really at Head Candy in Il Divino, the parties from day one. They they um, they inspire me of like maybe some people I think like what what the fuck is he saying like partying party and getting inspired of business wise yes mm-hmm. if I see how Simon Dunmore if you see how music has been made out of emotions for me it's obvious that uh, I let me explain you after my basketball career I started like coffee juice bars then a salad bar in Antwerp. And then I realized four locations, 21 staff of 21 people. It, it, I came back to the islands like I have to start feeling again. And I love my concept, but managing 21 people with my top sport mentality, I didn't like it. So I started detaching. It's even tattooed on my arm. Detachment. It's on the island who, who wrote it. Uh, Neil of Incadelic put it on there. And I started again feeling again. It's on my thumb. And I, I said, I'm go- just going to do anything, anything again what I like and detaching all negative energy. I don't like managing uh, 21 people. Mm-hmm. I don't like four locations. I'm going to detach them. I sold them like very cheap. Bought me a van, a Fiat, very cheap one. Put my cost lower and started feeling it. I said, I love my, my tea, matcha and coffee brand. Uh, afterwards, my son came to it and, and it went up again. So, and then I'm making like tea blends for Jockey Club Ibiza, for passion I, uh, passion in, in Ibiza, but also for restaurants in, in, in Holland, for three-star chefs in Belgium. Because mm-hmm. um, it's out of... Now today I have to fly over to, to teach, uh, to do a tea tasting and tea coaching uh, to, the, to a Marriott, a new hotel. Uh, but it's full of passion. I can talk about hours of it. Mm-hmm. Um and, and listening to people or like Simon Dunmore and, and people on the island like Scott Gray who detaches a lot of, but who also like believe in things and, and out of emotions. And when I even was one of the second party of Glitterbox, I was there and they took me there and it inspired me so much about like nothing beats love became my phrase because it's true. I, it's not about the business plan. It's about somebody at the door. <laughs> no way. Oh, you know what's happening? Oh, this is like I Your can pocket. eat now. Oh, you can eat. Yes, it's my 17 hours fasting. <laughs> if I find my... Uh, I thought um, uh, Grot Bags was about to come through the door. Oh, listen, it's like be my 17 hours fasting. Oh, now I can... So I always do a 17 hours fast and I cleanse with my uh, cold brew. I feel like the butler's going to come through with a big tray of sandwiches or something. Not, you never break your fast. It's not <laughs> breakfast, but it's you never break the fast with sandwiches, my dear. You do. I was joking, Peter. You know, it was a little joke. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I can't wait to hear more about the fasting, but um, let's go back to Simon Dunmore no, okay, because so, no, I just want to talk about Simon because he's being awarded the the Legends Award at this year's International Music Summit this month in about a week and a half's time. So I think you know he is a very very inspiring man, and um, I'm just intrigued by you know your relationship with him. How did you get to know him? Oh, he met me on the dance floor. 
you, you should ask him. It's like it's so crazy. <laughs> it's like it, and I always go there, even like was last year in Croatia or whatever, because you know he's always yeah, he's so. He's, you can always reach Simon Dunmore, even if he looks at the queue or whatever is, and. Last year I, I escaped Belgium because I needed some parties. I went to Croatia to a defected festival, and I, I saw Simon with a lot of pe- a lot of people there. And I was like, oh, I'm not gonna bother him on the first day. But then he saw me, of course, on top. I was like, Peter, Peter. It's like how nice to see you. I I never call him for tickets. I never uh, stalk him for tickets or whatever. It's just that the mutual. I think appreciation that he sees me having such a great time on the dance floor about the way the person he is the about how how he handles the the glitter box concept about defected about it's it inspires me so much about and then my phrase nothing beats love it is because you know I became a very good basketball player because I love the game if they're telling me at 16 years old I'm a fat fuck Like you're gonna make it, but I love this game. I'm gonna prove you that I I love this so much. I want this so much. I I if you want something in life, if you listen to your energy and you do what you love, you're gonna make it because you're gonna do it more. You're gonna do it better. So even if people are gonna tell you like no no it's impossible, but you love it and you're gonna make it happen. And I think we have to go back to children and teach them. To feel, because that's the way they're gonna keep or gonna stay motivated, even dif- in difficult times. A lot of people are stuck in their business, not doing what they love. So that's why my phrase comes from "Nothing beats love," and I got the inspe- ins- ins- a lot of inspiration also by Glitterbox, where they love and respect. And and I saw this growing. I was at the first party, and it was Scott who took took me. And he says, Peter, you know Simon Dunmore is starting with a new concept, and I was done with this EDM uh, bullshit, and and I got there, and you know it was in Boom, and only English people there. I had the best time of my life. That changed my, it really changed my life. That that moment in Boom, with Glitterbox, and I keep telling Simon, it's like Simon, and he always tells me like, oh, he was one of the first, and I saw this growing. But you know what? I, I also in interviews. Later, always Simon kept talking about. It. I got rid of my Twitter, but I said, like, said the 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 hugs, the love, the respect I see on the dance floor on Glitterbox. It's something you cannot create. It creates itself. Somebody, somebody told me, you cannot create a community. A community creates itself, and that's what happens with. Uh, With, with my lifestyle of way of life, what I'm doing in my fasting, my cleansing, etc. Because I make people healthier and and make feel better. But it's also on Simon Dance, on Simon Dunmore's Glitterbox, where people start to feel this, and then the community starts. So you have to focus on what you feel. You go 200% in it, and then the community starts. Are you going to go to his big defected festival on the 30th of April on the top of Dalt Villa? What do you think? 
Well, I'll see you there. I have. I already have my tickets. Me too. How very exciting! We'll be uh, on the dance floor together, not too in the not too distant future. I mean, I'm gonna also go to IMS, and we're gonna be doing a very special uh, podcast uh, from the, the the summit. And I'm really, really excited about doing that episode, which is coming out in a couple of weeks' time. I think you know. I'd also we haven't actually got so long left. An hour is actually flying by at a record rate. I'm kind of interested. Um, in the reason that you got into fasting. And I, I know that you um, kind of spoke to Sergio Herman about, you know, the death of his father and the fact that he died from Alzheimer's. And I wonder, I mean, I had heard rumors that one of the reasons that you got into in- intermittent fasting was due to the fact that um, Alzheimer's kind of, you know, came up in your life. Yeah, you see see my eyes now. I get emotional because it's, um, you know, also things happen on the island. For example, Sergio Herman is, one, is a three-star chef, uh, one of the best in the world. Changed the the, the scene um, by his amazing concept, by the way, is his restaurant. Uh, I met him on the island, way back on the island here. That's how we started to connect and, and met each other. So we're very good friends. He's too busy, uh, so we don't see each other enough. But <clears throat> his father passed away of dementia. And my father passed away three years ago of dementia. So we felt, I, I get emotional now. We felt the pain because, you know, um, it's it's uh, scary to see the, the, the father, the, the, the parent you love. He's, the people are changing. And, and you know, it's, it's kind of dementia. I, I want to give this advice. If, if you have somebody in your family and they're diagnosed with dementia, stop blaming them even if they're aggressive or etc my father and his father didn't have an aggressive form of verbally aggression or physically aggression but they're not themselves anymore so what you have to do is start to look at them and to embrace them with a lot of love and for the time you have left give them a lot of love say everything you want and I did that with my father seven seven months in a row I, I kept telling him how grateful I was how everything, so I, I finished it very well. But anyway, my connection with Sergio got even deeper with the dimension and, and of our fires. But then at a certain point, I really have a lot of uh, very inspirational young guys. I believe very much in the young generation. And, and there was this one guy who contacted me. He's now, he's, he's a crypto millionaire. He's living on Thailand and he's a Belgian guy. And he said like, hey, Peter, I've been fasting for three days now. I'm using your matcha. I really have the best farm in Uchi in Japan producing my, my matcha. I said, I'm having like a sick workout in the gym. It's, it's, it feels crazy. And I said like, what are you doing? Fasting for three days? Are you not eating for three days? So I invited him and I, I started listening to what his story about, about three years ago, more, three and a half years ago. And then I started like going into fasting deeper. And then at a certain point, I saw the effects of all, all our, our our diseases of today come out of the fact that we're eating from morning processed food till evening. Very like cholesterol, blood pressure, uh, heart and disease, cancers, whatever. Uh, the, the the dimension thing. It's all related to our wrong insulin boosts from morning to evening. Our bodies are not made for that. So when then I saw dimension, and my father was at that moment diagnosed with dimension, I became very fanatic. I was like. What has this to do with a mental state? Even if you have talk about people who are keto di- diets, where they block the, the wrong insulin, uh, the processed foods, 
and they go for whole foods, they're always talking about brain, uh, about brain stimulation. You know, it's because you're not uh, poisoned by wrong uh, processed food. So it's the same story. And you can approach this like by fasting and dimension. And, you know, it's, it's a long story, but if you leave the processed food, if you leave or you do it by fasting or you do it with a keto diet, I don't believe in diets. So I create a lifestyle where um, where I on, not only lost 19 kilos, where I'm sharper than I ever was a professional athlete, while my knee is completely, I, I need a, a, a new knee. But uh, and I never felt as good as before. I, and, and so, yeah, you, you should have him in your podcast, Sergio. He's, he's, he's coming to the island uh, this summer again. Uh, but, yeah, the, the mention, it, it's uh, our health. It's if you look to our bodies, we have a very, uh, uh, a very physically sick world. Uh, the, the, the human beings on this earth are very sick for the moment, mm. and nobody wants to talk about it because it, it brings a lot of. The pharma business is makes a lot of money on sick people, so they they make you sick. Is the processed food make you sick? And then the same companies are coming there with the solution to give the 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 medicines. It's 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 a it's um, yeah it's 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 money driven. Uh, it's it's a, it's a sick world. It is, and I you know I went through the same thing because my father's partner of twenty seven years also is just no longer living in this reality. She's uh, she's yeah she's in a home and watching my dad go through that process of of releasing somebody and physically her still being here with us but she's checked out she's 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 no longer yeah in this paradigm and it's 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 heartbreaking you know to witness his pain you know daily it's not going anywhere it's still there he's still you know he's 85 and yeah it's just it's it's really a a tragic journey to watch it's more painful for the people around them that's what you tell your dad it's more painful for him than for her, she's not realizing it anymore. And that's what I, it's also something you have to realize. I mean, like, every day I went to the hospital and it's like my father, you know what they said? He lost 17 kilos and they told me, they thought he had cancer. And they said, your dad forgets to eat. I'm like, what? My dad, he's, he's, he, knows every, he knows every bakery, every, like what? I couldn't believe it. And then I started noticing, and I was fighting against it. I was like, no, that's not true. My father is this, my father is that. And then I noticed that he always said something. He always forgot something, what he he did not wrote on a paper. And day after day, and I started analyzing myself, and i like, this is now the fourth day in a row. It's like, it's true. If he doesn't write it down, he doesn't remember anymore. So he didn't also know how long he was in the hospital. Well, I felt bad, like, my dad is in this hospital and he needs to go home and he needs... But he didn't even realize how many days he was there. So it's so tough for the, for the people around people with dementia. And don't fight it. That's what I'm, I really realize that they're mentally are very okay. They're not okay, but they're, they're okay with the situation. They, they don't realize anymore. So the only thing, if you... If, if the people around them are going to be aggressive against them, they don't know why they're going to be aggressive. Let go. Don't do this. Even like when they say things to you or 
do things that which are which can hurt you like it's not the same person anymore mentally but physically is it's so difficult but uh, for the people around people uh, around people with dementia it's so tough it's so tough and you have to like you have to start separating and look sep- uh, different to to your person about the mental state it's so difficult and the physical because you still see him as your father you still see him as your partner you still whatever but you have to let go it has been quite the journey you know watching that decline and yeah as i said for her to physically still be in this world but not mentally have that recognition anymore and the you know the mental state to be in our lives in the way that she was previously is um is devastating it really is and um i think i kind of wanted to yeah just i mean we've got a couple of couple more things i wanted to ask you about but i think you know clearly that's inspired your journey with fasting and as you said before you know you kind of need a bit of a goal you kind of need a bit of a a focus and i mean i fasted for you know 10 days on just water i've done seven days in detox clinics in thailand i've done a lot of fasting there's an episode in the very first 10 episodes of this series which is about me doing a seven day fast of nothing at all and i think you know absolutely all of the things you've said you know we watched a documentary on day one of that particular fast which talked about, you know, guys with uh, diabetes or all these different, you know, extremely horrible problems that, that, that crop up on people that do consume processed foods. And it's, you know, it, everything can be healed through fasting pretty much. I'm pretty sure if I, you know, got diagnosed with cancer tomorrow, I think that's the number one thing that I would do. I would literally just stop eating until it went away. And I do believe, you know, deeply and, and wholeheartedly in fasting is a very powerful tool for healing. So I think, you know, why 17 hours? First of all, let's just start with that. The, it's really proven eh, that uh, people who are fasting together with chemo, they have amazing results. And, you know, if you, because people are, listen, there's a Nobel Prize winner of a, J- uh, a Japanese uh, cell biologist, that's why we call it in Flemish, but he won the Nobel Prize by proven by autophagy. Eh? It means, but it, it proves what you're saying, that good cells are eating the bad cells. If if But if they are getting enough sugar or, or whatever of processed food, which does the same as the, those insulin molds, your, your cancers, they, 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 they get fueled. So they even, and if you think this is bullshit, well, listen, if you, at a certain point, if they, they find something and they're going to investigate it, they give you sugars to see where the cancers are. So they know. So they know. So what if you stop eating, uh, getting bad sugars or, or processed food, which does the same, etc. So it, it, it really, it's proven and they know it, like the more you fast together with chemo, you get amazing results. Anyway, the reason why I'm doing it is we're living in a Western world. I, I, I'm, I'm addicted to chocolate. I'm, I'm not, I cannot, like, I don't believe in diets. I believe in, a, in, in creating a lifestyle. And for me, fasting now, you know, you hear it about my, I'm, I'm, it's not that I don't have energy. Eh? The opposite, I get more energy by the, the hour I fast more and more because that's how I was, I was made like to go and hunt now. It's not like, uh, oh, I'm sitting like uh, with a bit of fat belly. I'm going to call Uber Eats because otherwise I don't have energy. No, back in the days we had to go out, we had to go and hunt, we had to go and get some stuff and then we could eat. So... Yeah, this this the, the 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 system it's it's so out of balance that you know all the di- most of the diseases all of them all it's just because of uh, our process to food from morning to evening and that's the reason why I fast seventeen hours. 
I've always, from day one, I started like eight and a half years, nine years ago with tea. I always looked at the benefits of tea, mm-hmm. uh, even to infusions and to tea and um, to EGCG, to the green tea leaves. You know, if you go to the Asian uh, medical uh, philosophy, it's all a lot is based on green tea. So I started combining them. So during my fast, I cleanse with my hot brew and cold brew. With my hot brew, there's three times as much ECGG because it's like six to eight hours or even more in, in, in the fridge to get in the water. I, I have this in labo tests where they tested it. And um, that's what I'm doing. My first, uh, how I break my fast is like keto style, not too heavy. And then later, I enjoy life. I If I go to cappuccino, I eat my chocolate cake. In the evening, I enjoy life. And then from the moment I have my last uh, food or drink, I stop my timer, which I heard, like 17 hours. And then I, I, I do my, I, I leave the, the time to do my body to do what it, it needs to be done. Simple. Mm. That's very interesting. And I mean, uh, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, if I told my dad I was doing a fast, he looks at me like I'm absolutely mental. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of people, as you said, like believe in this idea that food fuels us. But I know for a fact, if I've got a really busy day with a lot of like, I don't know, heavy workload, I don't eat very much at all. And I eat just maybe a salad or something because I know that that heavy food is going to destroy my focus. And I'm just going to be like living on coffee for, for the next five, six hours after that to, to get through and to stay awake and to be laser sharp. And, uh, you know, I know when I have done those fasts, like, you know, there might be a little crash around day three or day four. But after that, it's like I'm skipping on air, you know, I'm literally flying. And I and I love that fast as high that kicks in as well. You know, I've got to day seven before and gone, I'm never going to stop i'm never going to eat again this is amazing um but you know i also yeah i think it's a very interesting thing emotionally as well when you take food out of the equation and to and to feel you know you've talked about this before in this podcast about people need to be taught to feel and we disengage from our emotions through food booze drug sex whatever all the all the time it's a natural human thing that we are you know taught is okay but it's not and you know when you do take food completely away for longer than just 17 hours for days there's a lot of feeling that starts to happen and it is yeah it's intense and I think it's really interesting as well you know not just to digest the food but to digest the emotions and I think again those two things for me go hand in hand with removing that you know that crutch if you like um from the equation and and it's always there it's always readily available we're very privileged for the fact that we can eat whenever we choose you know there's never going to be a lack of food there might be in 20 years time when climate change kicks in but for now it's all good there's never going to be a lack of food in our in our daily lives and that's um you know a, a very large thing that you have to kind of recognize and understand is how you have to handle this luxury you because you know we were built very simple to try to understand this. Every time you get sugar, every time you get a wrong insulin boost, your body likes it because it, it, it performs energy. Because sugar on, on itself, it's not bad, like normal sugars. But, you know, your body holds it to the places you don't like, your belly fat or your around your ass or whatever, or your arms. Because your, your body thinks like, oh, in wintertime, when we don't have food, because, you know, uh, the leaves are not there, the berries are not there, then we need extra energy. Mm. But listen, folks, we have uh, we we eat, we don't have those uh, periods anymore of not food. Mm. So what do you see around you? Everyone's too fat. Everyone has too much storage of of energy. So 
you have to manage your intake, and it's not by calorie in, calorie out. No, you have to manage your body. Listen, if you are overweight, you have a problem. You have to start thinking about why, why is it there? And then don't go like the old school thought, like, oh, I'm going to the gym, and then I'm going to burn more calories. No, fix the problem. So fix the problem. And a lot of professional athletes now around me, they're, they're, they're into my fasting, etc. Because, you know, even I, when, when, when I had to play a game, they were giving me pasta, rice, chicken, it's four, four hours before the game. No wonder I, was, I fell asleep in the bus, in the bus trip towards the game but uh listen if you're if you're fat or you have a you have a problem and it's not your problem because the problem is that marketing companies try to make you believe that nothing is wrong that you if you don't eat you don't have energy in the morning bullshit it's the opposite that at four o'clock there's nothing wrong in a little snack that in the evening cozy on the on the on the couch it's also not wrong and then you have three meals and that started with the factory in the morning in uh, when the b- ring bells at 12 o'clock and in the evening so then you already have six moments you eat it makes you sick and fat and yeah it's very simple so start managing this I mean, I remember one time, it really cracked me up actually, a previous guest, a very good friend of mine, Lydia Kimmeling, and she, I told her <laughs> that I was intermittent fasting. <laughs> I was pouring myself a glass of wine. She's like, what are you doing? Like, That's not intermittent fasting. You're drinking a glass of wine. And at that point, I didn't really know what I was doing. I hadn't intermittent fasted before, but she was pissing herself laughing. She was just like, yeah, wine doesn't count as fasting, Joe. Hate to tell you, full of sugar. I was like, oh, yeah. Um, but that moment will always stick with me. And, um, yeah, it really made me chuckle. I think, lastly, I, you know, we've talked about... Um, you know, this kind of uh, placing on a pedestal, I think, of, of, of positioning, you know, obviously with what you've done as a, as a job prior to your, your current role, um, sharing tea. And I think it's, it's, you know, I was listening to a track in the gym this morning that reminded me of what I wanted to talk to you about in this conversation. It was uh, Radiohead, Weird Fishes. And he was, you know, one of the lyrics is like eating, eating your words. And I feel like, you know, that has been something that's happened to you in the past um, through, through the media through things that have been said and I feel like um, you know specifically in January there was obviously this incident where you deliberately decided to infect yourself with um, coronavirus we don't talk about the c-word on this podcast so in this this case I'm going to make a small exception and I just think it's interesting the fact that you know I mean I'm unvaccinated whatever most of the people are on a beat I think and it's not you know something to be heralded or put on a pedestal either it's just a choice it's a decision and there's been a lot of decisions that seemingly kind of you know have been taken out of our hands of late and clearly that was a moment a decisive moment that you um you know chose to to go down that path to be able to travel and get a recovery certificate which is I mean, I shouldn't judge, but I think, you know, whatever. It's your choice, right? And you're allowed to do whatever you want to do in this world. But that co- clearly didn't go down well in the press. Now, I find that, you know, I don't find that necessarily terribly fair that, they, that they've done that. And I and I think it's just interesting to hear it in your own words and your own perspective, like how you felt about that particular situation. It's the first time I'm going to talk about this because uh, I didn't give... I already not giving... I'm not giving interviews in... Uh, 
to media in Belgium or whatever for 10 years. So everything what they write, it's not out of my words. They even say like, oh, anyway, of magazines. So there's always a reason. It's not that I infect myself on purpose just to be interesting or just to infect myself. I had to go to two countries to sign documents. I was in Italy and and somewhere else. And if I if I didn't have a, a green uh, or, or, or my QR code, I would have gone. I needed to go 10 days in quarantine, both in them, which was not like I couldn't have done that. So I already had COVID in the beginning, three days sick and I was okay. And then I saw at that moment all the specialists saying for three months, no, two months, trying to explain the people what the difference was between just like if your nose was a little full or the Omicron variant, because it was so light. I was like, um, excuse me, if the specialist needs to explain what a, a, a very mild cold is or a variant where we lock down and it's, it blocks me and everything, at the same time, I was sitting for seven months outside on terraces eating. In Holland, I could not even sit without a QR code on a terrace. It's cold weather in Belgium and At the same time, I saw people inside, not taking care of their health, with a green pass, infecting each other. While I said from the beginning, I said, listen, you keep infecting each other inside and healthy people are sitting outside. This world is fucked up. Whatever you want to get the injection or not, I don't care. I don't give a fuck. But for me, it's my right. It's a Nuremberg code. I decide what's going to go in my body or not. And if you want to put me in a little corner, which you're telling kids not to do, and you governments are doing this, then I'm going to find a way so I can do my business. I, 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 I bought a ground in Italy, but I couldn't. Italy still today, they're, they're still with like very strict rules. I bought the ground, but I didn't do anything about it. I needed to travel to work and I couldn't postpone it longer. So I said, I'm going to get infected. And um, a lot of people did it around and, and I did it on my socials. I didn't know it was going to make this big, big of fuss. And as I said today in, in one of my posts on, on my socials, it's not right to do that. But it's also not right to get very fast an inf injection to get your freedom back to go to a cinema theater. I'm sorry, but I have, ve I have very strange thoughts about when you're telling me this. Even, even I went to a restaurant and I'm like, why are you asking me this? Yeah, it's not, my, it's not my job to think. It's my job to follow the government. Yeah, but you know, you're spreading inside. Like, start thinking. Anyway, um, I've been honest about it, just infecting myself. Listen. They wrote, of course, there are marketing machines behind it. Because, you know, in two years, we didn't hear, hear anything about really getting healthier, about moving, about what the problem is. 
this virus just shows us how sick our 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 people are around us. So what I did, I said, you know, I have my aura ring. Look, I'm falling. It, it tracks my sleep. It tracks everything, my respiratory rate. If you're wearing an, an aura ring or you would wear a whoop, you know two days in advance when you have COVID. You don't need PCR test because it takes the respiratory rate of you and, and you know when you have it. So I said, let's follow this now. So I'm infected. Even the next day, I got one uh, day, I got a little uh, like... Uh, my temperature was high. But then he said, like, keep moving, keep moving. Because he coaches, you know, an hour running. Keep moving. So, oh, that's active recuperation out of top sports. Instead of, like, sitting at home for 10 days, doing nothing, eating. I, said, I, I kept fasting, of course. I went to 20, 20 hours. And it's like, oh, after the second day, he said, Pete, it's time to move. So I started moving. I started working out. So everything was okay. Of course, they didn't say this. Like, oh. The prime, one of the ministers is like, oh, even by doing this stupid thing, we will, uh, uh, he's welcome in our uh, intensive cares. Uh, excuse me, uh, I haven't, I, I was okay after Sekteya, I was working out. Uh, our, uh, our uh, the, the specialist, uh, Marek van Ranst, he has a belly fat of 30 kilos too much. He's getting fatter every, every, every month. It's like, oh, when he's healthy, because I tell him, let's, let's come and sit on the table and what is respect of, of, of what is respect for the intensive cares? Is it like every doing, everyday efforts of 17 hours fasting, of cleansing, of working out to bring myself in the best shape? Or just whatever, if I'm sick, fat, and, and whatever, and, 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 and I just get an injection. Is this what is what is what is respect towards the in- intensive cares? Knowing that 80% on intensive cares are people with a lot of belly fat. The, the T-cells are a turbo for, for the virus. So let's have this discussion. I don't say it's good to infect myself, but I'm not gonna, it, it, it's, you know, I want to have this conversation, but they don't do it. They don't bring it in me. I have, listen well, I have journalists where they say like, I was scared. I know six people around me with myocarditis. Two of them, their heart is not still pumping 100%. I'm, my heart rate is 38 in rest. I'm scared of myocarditis. That's the reason why I don't want this this, this experimental. After five years, after seven years, maybe I, I maybe I will consider. I'm not anti-vaccination, but not this mRNA after two years. And if I see a lot of uh, myocarditis around me, it's my right to that I don't want it. So anyway, uh, what do I want to say? Whatever. Listen, this situation is fucked up. And uh, I saw very big problems around me. And I have, uh, I have journalists who, who are black or white, who are, not, who are saying that uh, they cannot write what they want. I have uh, the doctor who didn't want to uh, invite me because he said, oh, I want to just get my blood control. He's like, oh, you don't, you're not vaccinated, Peter? I just said it on my socials two days ago. No. Yeah, but I have a, I have a recovery certificate. Ah. Uh-huh. I cannot, uh, accept, I cannot accept you. That's what happened. I didn't mention this. I have ministers who said, like, who were forcing into vaccination, and they said, like, and texting me, mm. yeah, we have to make it. Uh, the framework has to become uh, lo- uh, l- that the law uh, can can force you into vaccination. It's still not like this. But at the same time, they were. Exp- 
excluding all the people who were, who were not doing it, it. The law was not there to do this. I thought it was completely wrong. I thought it's proven now that they started infecting. Listen, it's shown huh, that the people who, who get now COVID are the, the one who got also the boosters, and most. It's proven now on the intensive cares. Anyway, do whatever you want. I want to have a discussion what uh, respect towards uh, yourself and to the intensive cares or all the people working there is. And that's, for me, working every day on becoming the healthiest, leanest, leaner, better version of yourself. Every day. Not just getting by one infection and getting your freedom back. So it's everybody's scared. I'm scared of myocarditis with a heart rate of 38 while I'm sleeping and I have six people around me. And other people are scared to, for the virus because they're not healthy. Both are scared. What do you feel about the press in general and the things that have been said about that incident? I mean, maybe you've not read it. Maybe you just don't read the news anymore because I did have an incident this morning as well in the gym. This is the third day in a row. I've gone to my favorite cross trainer and I've looked up at the TV in front of me and it's the war. And I cannot cope with it. Like yesterday, I burst into tears in the middle of my workout. And I was like, I just, you know, it's my choice to choose when I engage with what's happening in the world, not to have it like literally right in front of my nose. It's my decision how I start my day, what I want to engage with when I wake up and I I go to do my workout. And that shouldn't be there. You know, we're in a bloody sports environment here. There should be sporting legends and heroes and positive stuff on there that's making me think, right, I'm going to get ripped. I'm going to get lean. I'm going to be the best version of myself and I actually went and found the cleaner and I asked her did she have the remote control and she actually changed the channel and I said I'm going to write a letter to the the guy at the the top of the chain of this gym uh, outfit that I go to called Frele Gyms and and I'm going to ask him not to change it back because seriously I don't want to watch that in the morning it should be my decision so I think it's it's a very decisive moment that we we live in now to engage or not engage with you know with those kinds of narratives and I think living in Ibiza is a number one way to check out of that world because ultimately we live in a bubble and we're not force fed all of that stuff and I think that's for me as a journalist and someone who's worked in a newsroom and been forced to editorially toe the line and and pump out certain moments that I wasn't terribly proud of myself if I'm really honest I didn't have the balls back then to say no to my editor but I certainly would now not want to be knocking on a door to get you know a word of something from someone who's clearly in distress for example the sensationalism that you know the media um, chews up and spits out you know people and um, I think that you know that's definitely been part of your storyline and I don't care <laughs> and the reason why um, I always reflect it to myself I'm going to give you an advice mm. Friday Jim I've been you know I used to go there back in the days 20 years ago Friday. if they three days you have to detach I'm fasting now all the way. I'm in a new phase of it. That's the reason why I'm back on the island. I'm going to, for the next months, I'm going to feel again more. If if this is an issue, you still have the control. You're not going to Friday anymore. Mm. It's also like, what can I do? And that's what I changed my life when the first time I came to Ibiza. It's like I was pointing fingers to a lot. But they're always pointing three fingers to myself. Mm. It's like, why did I get in this relationship? Why am I? And then what can I do uh, something about it? At a certain time, I was front page. They, they were making jo- jokes about my son. Even now, 
I was in Ibiza a couple of days ago. There's this like uh, C director of no, a director of C movies, like shitty movies. You know, sitting unhappy, fat at home. And I don't have anything against fat people, huh? As long as they're frustrated and reflected to other people, I have a problem. Anyway, he posted something of my of my of of my of of a picture of me and my son. I told him, I said, listen, are you gonna post a picture of my son? I'm gonna ask you one time to remove this. We have a lot of frustrated people around us. They're not happy anymore, who cannot feel anymore, they're lost. Those two years, my relationship finished in uh, during the second, not because of a, that, that, like, we still get along. But, you know, normally you always go from A to B to C to D, and then suddenly you're stuck. It's like, oh, and maybe she's, and suddenly she starts like, oh, maybe I want children, or maybe this, maybe this. It's possible. The entire world changed to some people. A lot of them, it's like, because they were confronted with themselves. My, my, my journey of nine, 10 years, reflecting all to myself, just feeling what is, feels good enough, nothing changed. Again, I'm used to be very convinced if a crowd of eight to 10,000 people are booing me, I still have the ball and I still can play. I know why I, for example, infected myself. I know why I'm on the island. I know why I went to Italy. I know what I went to do somewhere else. I want I, the phase that I'm trying to convince everybody of my good intentions is, is gone. You know, social media is something very nice. I decide who I follow on Instagram or not. The negative energy? Unfollow. Simple. I only get nice people around me and all the negative I detach. So what they have been writing about me, about the left side, respectable newspapers with a front page with a picture of me. Then I was like, I, I felt compassion. Uh, this is love and compassion. Uh, there's no hate. Because like, if, if a newspaper where they pretend to be the 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 leading uh, intellectual uh, whatever needs to write this kind of bullshit that says a lot about them i see so much bullshit and listen if you s i'm outspoken person so i i hear a lot of nurses of doctors of journalists when i say something i know what i'm saying but it's obvious that even if I try to explain in Belgium, like, oh, I don't talk to the media for now, maybe 10, 11, 12 years. They don't believe me because, oh, you're in the newspaper. You're in. Yeah, but I don't talk to them. Mm -hmm. they, they have to bring, if they, use my, my, if they use my face, they click on it and they make money. It does, it's, not about, it's not about, it's sick. I, I believe that media has been also a very big part of the virus. That's what you're saying. Like, if you see this, I open my bank, my Belgian bank account. I see somebody in Ukraine feeding it just with, with, with a, a mouth mask. Like, what am I seeing here? I, I'm, I'm like, listen, there are people in Belgium who cannot pay their gas. And they're asking us to pay, etc. which is terrible, bad. Because I, let me say something. I hope this war stops immediately. And in the end, those fuckers they're going to shake hands and all the people are killed. Mm. 
believe me, those Western guys in Putin, they're, I don't know if they're going to take physically hands, but it's going to stop one day. And a lot of people and children are killed. By the way, aside 20,000, you're from the UK. And I'm always brutally honest. 20,000 people are dead now, by the way. I thought 15,000 or, or anyway in, in, in Ukraine, which is 20,000 too bad. If there are 20,000 dead, 25,000 too much. I Googled it on the, on the way here. Iraq, 450,000. When the Americans and Blair, when there were false things about nuclear weapons, went to Iraq, and all the Western countries, Belgium, Holland, together, 450,000 people dead in Iraq. What is that compared? What, what monsters is the Western world and compared if they say Putin is a monster? And everybody who starts a war is a monster. But can you, the proportion, I have a lot of also Muslim people, friends, or on social media. It's like, guys... If we see this Ukrainian, it's good that everybody wants to support them. You, you guys, also some Balkan people I know. So guys, do you know what you've been doing in the Balkan and in, 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 in Iraq? Uh, excuse me? I think we have to start. And, and it's, it's the media who tells us what to think. I don't know. It's just, uh, yeah, it's a... It's a very strange situation. You cannot, fight it, eh? you cannot fight this. So it's really, you you have to let go. Eh? You have to detach again. Eh? You have to detach everything. Okay, can I change this? No. Do I have to find a way? But I'm I, I'm always out. I speak my, my truth. Eh? And, and, and even if you would say like, yeah, but this, this, then I'm like, oh, okay. It's so, but it's, I, I, this is my new phase now. I'm, I, I gave up my digi recorder in Belgium. I gave up everything now. I don't want this, this media anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing where I get like positive thoughts and positive things of and, and get inspired. And a, ver- a compliment I want, <clears throat> something I want to tell people. This phase I started 10 years ago. You can do it everywhere. Not in Ibiza, everywhere. If you start to listen to your emotion and when they feel bad, you leave. You don't fight them because fighting is also negative energy. But if you detach all negative energy, you will be surprised which positive energy is going to come to you. It's because finding this, this old thing keeps you stuck there. I used to be a fighter. I'm not fighting anymore. If we would start in an argument... I would like uh, be polite and I would walk away. Before I would try to convince you, I would try to, but that's also energy. If you look at it, your life energy-wise, you have to pick your fights. You have to pick your. Nothing beats love. Do good, become better, and and if you're a good heart and and you, you, I only want to do positive things, and then nothing is wrong if you dare to detach the negative. The only thing is a lot of people are scared of the unknown. That's what they're scared of. A lot of people want to get out of a relationship, business-wise, personal-wise, but they're scared like, what what am I going to do? Well, listen, you're not going to find it. It's not going to come on your part as you stay. You need to dare to let go. Detach. 
And let's end this then with your reword, which is rebound. And what is your reset button related to that word? As said, 16 years old, I was fat, couldn't be uh, even make the local team. I had a very nice European career. About everything, it's in our hand what we do with obstacles in life. Agreed. And um, it's been an absolute pleasure to hear this story today. I'm so grateful for you taking the time um, to to give us the full rundown of uh, of all those different topics we've covered, and um, really appreciate um, yeah you spending some time together today. It's the first time I told this story, and it will be my last. Rebel. Coming to you every day.